poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and John Chai. Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today is Tuesday, so it is a tactical day. And I am joined by my co-host, as always, minus the first 20 episodes of Tactical Tuesday or so, Mr. Jonathan Chai. How you doing, sir? Doing good. How are you, Brad? Doing quite well. Can't complain. Feeling better. I'm mostly recovered from the COVID and went to train jujitsu for the first time in weeks. Um, it went horribly, but you know, I'm alive. So I, I did go through it. Um, now it's just a matter of, you know, getting back to full powers, um, which I think is just going to take some time. Oh, you sound better. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. I feel better. So, uh, What's the theme for today? Do we, do we have a theme? Maybe uh, the theme for the YouTube listeners that you keep messing with your camera over and over <laughs> again. Well, sorry about that. Uh, so the theme this week is uh, actually two themes. It's going to be pocket fours and they both happen to be in multi-way pots. So originally my, my theme was just going to be multi-way pots. Um, and then I looked at the two interesting hands that I wanted to do and they both happen to be pocket fours. So ah, happy coincidence. Nice. That's lucky. So, maybe I just suck at playing pocket fours multi-way. I don't know. <laughs> not another king queen off the buckle. <laughs> at least, at, at least you know, combinatorically, you, you get them, you know, only half as often as king queen off. So, won't bring your win rate down uh, too much. <laughs> so, um, this first one, let's just dive into the action. You can break it down for the podcast listener. Yeah. So, kind of a interesting start to the hand from the beginning we got a fish under the gun with a 25 26 big blind stack starts out with a limp um i'm on the button with pocket fours we can talk about like whether you would iso here versus over limping i decide to over limp i would over limp um facing a utg limper so the limper has 26 big blinds it's 510 no limit um so yeah i think that you know if you ISO and get jammed on, it's kind of a disaster. Over limping, there's just not many bad things that can happen. Um, you know, the the small blind here is ISOing to eight big blinds. Uh, and I think this could actually like be the catalyst to maybe the, the worst thing that could happen, which would be you over limp, they ISO to eight and the limper jams for their 26 bigs and then you have to fold your force. Uh, and then, you know, the result of like the disaster scenario is like minus one big blind. So not ultra disastrous. So yeah, I'm definitely on board with the overlimp. It's my preferred um, action here with probably deuces through sevens, something like that. So that's what I go ahead and do. The small blind does ISO to $80, eight big blinds. The fish under the gun comes along and obviously we are along for the ride as well. Yeah, and you know this scenario is pretty good, 
right? Like, oh, great. We get to realize equity. We get to play a pot in position, multi-way. Um, and there's going to be a huge amount of information reveal from the small blind, depending on like their flop action. Uh, I think that the way that this hand is kind of shaping up is that, uh, so there's 25 bigs in the pot. Um, the under the gun fish only has 18 bigs behind so now the small blind you know they're kind of handcuffed in what they get to do uh, I, I mean probably their best strat would be to check range just because it is exceptionally difficult to manage both a betting and a checking range here in this this situation um but yeah it's not great for the uh the small blind small blind does check uh small blind is a uh reg by the way sure didn't notice anything, you know, just seemed like a, a solid six max five ten reg. No yeah. no other notes. Uh he does start out with check, so that's like you said, that's completely expected. Um and again, is, yeah, go even ahead. more yeah, sorry, even more expected from a, a, a strong reg. The flop is ten five deuce two tone. Um yeah, sorry. Were you gonna add anything else? I was just gonna add what the flop was. Okay. So yeah, you do not flop a set. They check mm -hmm. to you. Um yeah, any consideration betting your checking here? I think that like there are certainly, you know, there there's a an argument that could be made for like betting some some something small on the flop. Um, yeah, I think the um, I think under the gun checking the fish under the gun checking is pretty meaningful. But like you said, I would expect the small blind to be checking close to range. Um, you know, very likely just their entire range here. So I think betting fours on the flop would purely be for protection. Maybe we could get called by a worse hand from the the uh, under the gun player. Um, but I doubt we're ever getting called by worse from the small blind. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, small blind could check call a small bet with like ace king. Uh, sure, sure. Or maybe some kind of like backdoor heart type hand that mm -hmm. makes sense. But anyway, um, so the flop checks through. The turn is a seven of diamonds. So the board is 10-5 deuce, seven now. Um, flush draw available. And the small blind checks again. I imagine that the double check is a lot more meaningful than the flop check. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, they can check range on the flop. I think they're definitely going to be splitting on the turn and have, you know, bets and checks. So mm -hmm. this check, super meaningful. Um, now the... Under the gun player that had 18 big blinds bets $10, which is one big blind in this spot. So they bet 20, 125th pot. Um, so what, I mean, we kind of blew it here, but like just <laughs> thoughts facing the, the one big blind. Um, I mean, you have to continue. Uh, that That's really my thought. Uh, yeah. It doesn't appear as if like... Yeah, just you just have to continue. Um, I think it's interesting. So I see your action here. Um, you raised the three big blinds, so they bet one. You raised the three. Uh, I think that's pretty clever, uh, multi-way. I when the underground player bets one big, um, it's pretty meaningful. Like I, I think that they typically going to choose a bigger size with a ten, uh, probably even a bigger size with a seven. Although, you know, it's kind of hard to say always what they do or what they're doing when they bet, you know, 125th pot. But it's a three big blind investment. Um, if the player, the under the gun player jams 
I guess you can just fold. Puts more pressure on the small blind to continue, um, you know, with their overcards, which they almost certainly would, getting you know twenty seven to one mm-hmm. on their money, uh, because now the action's still open and it just becomes a little bit more difficult to navigate. Um, I would still say that the small blinds. They're still getting ace twenty nine to one. <laughs> ace king and ace queen. They're getting nine point six seven to one. To one sorry. Yeah. So I think that like their overcards can still call, mm-hmm. um, and probably should. Like ace king, ace queen, ace jack. Certainly. I mean, any draw is obviously a slam dunk. Uh, you know, just the queen jack highs, king queen highs. Those probably should just call. I mean, I, honestly, I, I think. Yeah. I think those hands should call versus this size. Um, I think one of the things that I think one of the kind of the cool things about this size, though, it sort of looks like I'm threatening stacks versus under the gun where I'm like doing something to, you know, try to get it in on the river or or, or whatnot. And so like, you know, what I was hoping is that the reg and the small blind starts thinking about whether ace king ever improves, you know, when ace king improves, is it even ever improved to a hand that is going to beat mine? Because it just sort of just looks yeah. like I could easily have like a two pair plus range here and I'm just desperately trying to get it in versus under the gun. Yeah. Um, you know, you could go to five big blinds probably and I think it still kind of works mm-hmm. almost like the same except it puts a little bit more pressure on the small blind. But um, yeah, like now, I, now I'm starting to have trouble folding to the jam when under the gun jams over my <laughs> raise once I start making it five. Yeah, well, um, small blind does fold, which is really a great. It's a really a great outcome. Yeah, uh, just generating a fold when they're getting like nine to one, mm-hmm. and river pairs to five, which is great. Um. And the under the gun player checks and the actions on you. You check back here. Plan on the flop or sorry, plan on the turn with the raise wasn't to try to get under the gun to fold a better hand, but to try to get the small blind to fold out a bunch of equity and hopefully get called by some worse hands from mm-hmm. under the gun at the same time. Yeah, I think it's great. Um very well played hand. I think uh we're gonna take this one into the break I, I think it's very clever they're raising the turn and um you know the smaller size that you choose on the turn to raise with uh just actually makes it to where the villain can make a more egregious mistake by folding um the smaller size that you use that they fold to which i think is uh just a nice bonus in this you mean the scenario under the gun villain or the small blind villain? small blind small blind villain. yeah okay yeah. um because like essentially you're folding out their equity and they're getting nine to one and deciding not to call. And that's like really, really good for you. And if you used a size of 20 um, and they had an even better price and they still folded out their equity, then I think, you know, 20 is probably better than 30 yeah, um, yeah. in that sense. So, yeah, let's, uh, any setup for the hand after the break? No, um, just the reveal for this hand because we can't see the showdown since um, oh, yeah. since it went, or actually maybe we can, I'm not sure. But anyways, it goes check, check. Um, and it just, ended up kind of just being a, a dream scenario where yeah under the gun shows up with eight nine that bricks on the river um the final board is ten five do seven five so under the gun turns an open ender um calls the small raise bricks the river and the small blind ended up folding ace king of clubs so it was just phew, perfect, perfect 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 yep great well played hand let's see if you can keep it up after the break stick around 
The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Pre-flop bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your pre-flop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your pre-flop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. Before boot camp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years, somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And pre-flop boot camp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what rangers should look like and what hands should be played in what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that, that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post bootcamp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up. Um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to, to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re really work together even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have 70,000 hands played by now, you know, I'm a father and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month. The price is $199 and your link to join is ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. All right, welcome back from the break and... As you can see, we have easy hand replayer up, which can only mean one thing, that this hand occurred in the live streets. So, yeah, let's set up hand number two, Mr. Chai. So hand number two is not only is it a live hand, but it is a bomb pot. Um, right. We are playing a $50 bomb pot, uh, eight ways. I have pocket fours again, as previously mentioned. I'm in the low jack, um, so preflop action. Uh, 
in case you're not familiar with bomb pots is everybody puts in $50. Uh, there's no action preflop. We go straight to the flop and then action starts in the small blind. All right. So I'm guessing preflop action here and the easy hand replay is pretty, pretty easy. Uh, you get a pretty good flop. Jack four tray, which is the second nuts. In I actually couldn't believe it. So like what I do in bomb pots, and this is just like my personal fun sweat method is like, I look at the flop and then I like, kind of like peel my cards one at a time before after looking at the flop and i saw the first four i was like oh that's pretty good and then i saw the second four in my hand and i was like wow i can't believe it i flopped a set in a bomb bot this is gonna be amazing <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i i believe it like just having having a set here is like just especially so good when like all the two pairs are available like just you know it just uh really Really great scenario. Um, so there's 400 in the middle. Eight of you. Uh, and just for a little bit of context, um, I in the, so we were doing bomb pots every dealer change, and the bomb pot right before this, um, I had I went bet 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 and showed a showed down a bluff on the river, um, which means it didn't go through. <laughs> no, 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 it did go through. Oh, it did go through, and you showed yeah, a bluff. Yeah. I got asked to show it. <laughs> Oh, that's very courteous of you to just sure. I feel like that works like ninety percent of the time when I'm bluffing. If someone asks me to show it, maybe it's partly because like I was I'm sort of looking for a reason to show it, and I don't want to do it on my own without like some sort of you know encouragement from somebody else. It just feels like it's a little needly or a little rude to just like flip over a bluff for no reason. But as soon mm-hmm. as someone asks you or kind of nudges you a little bit, I'm like excited to do it. No oh, man, this guy. So well, anyways. That that just is the context for the for the last end. I don't know if that if anyone was reading into that, but here we are. Jack four three two tone. We're five thousand dollars effective with four hundred dollars in the middle. Everybody's right. checked to me. And you bet a quarter. Yep. So you bet a hundred. Uh hijack calls, cutoff calls. Everybody else does the folding thing. <laughs> The turn is the king of hearts. So king, jack, four, three, uh, four, three of spades. There's 700 in the middle. Um, you want to talk about flop sizing first? So like part of the reason I, I gave the context of the previous hand is that my flop and turn sizes in this hand were exactly the same as my flop and turn sizes in the hand where I showed down the bluff on the river. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be honest. I was tempted to bet bigger on the flop. Because I bet quarter pot here on a very wet board with a set in a spot where I'm pretty sure, you know, top pair is going to call more than quarter. Um, yeah. You know, all the draws are going to call more than quarter. And you're probably not getting raised as frequently by the draws in a bomb pot as you would in a normal pot. Like, I could see, like, some of the weaker combo draws, like, maybe not raising, like, a 7-5 of spades or something like that. Like, not being, like, you know really excited about putting in was it worth it dollars was it worth it betting small no showing your bluff in the other hand that felt made you feel handcuffed to betting small since the last time you showed a bluff and felt like you had to bet small i don't know i mean i don't think so like that's what i'm asking though is like that's how i felt uh it's probably not worth something do you think that that's true like when i think you could just bet half here like and i think you probably should i think you okay. should size up when you have a set on a board like this. Like I, I just think, yeah, you, you should. They're going to call yeah. way too often, way, way too more frequently than they should. 
Um, I actually think that like you showing the bluff the last time is kind of enough to just start betting bigger. <laughs> uh, yeah, like uh, it, it's they're going to have to like read into like your previous sizing and the fact that you had a bluff. Most likely, they're just going to remember that you had a bluff and not really consider the sizing as much as they probably ought to. Sure. So yeah, I, I think that you should just bet a size that you're incentivized to bet with the hand that's in front of you. And that size is probably half in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to the turn here. There's 700 in the middle. John's got 48.50. Um, yeah, so quite a bit of depth. Uh, King Jack 4.3 is the board. You have to bet. Um, man, what an interesting spot i guess i'll get your thoughts here before i chime in because pretty complicated i think i think i have to bet given the how dynamic the board is i expect both or at least one if not both the players behind me to you know have at least uh some sort of made hand or some sort of very strong equity driven you know semi bluff type of hand some sort of you know strong draw on the flop mm-hmm. um so no shortage of hands to get called by um no shortage of like you know bluffs for me to rep myself on jack 432 tone i think especially probably especially true after showing down a bluff 30 minutes ago um so yeah i just decided to keep betting here mostly just trying to get called by sizing is more um i think the bigger question here yeah so again i use the same size that i used in the previous uh bomb pot so i just pot it here i make it 700 um would leave me about 2x pot behind if I get called. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do not get called, though. Yeah. You get the old raisy daisy, huh? Mm-hmm. So you bet 700. They raise a 2K. And now, you know, you're essentially playing for stacks. Um, anything about hijack? Yeah. Uh, reg. Solid reg. What makes me really sick here is that I think the hijack is a is a good enough player to not do this with King Jack. Mm. Definitely not doing it with worse two pair. And what really makes me sick about this hand is that I, I'm, I'm willing to bet a lot of money that he doesn't do it with King Jack. Trace. What about Trace? Oh, for sure. Trace. Yeah. I, I would expect Trace to be in there. Jack's to be in there and Kings to be in there. Mm-hmm. Jack's and Trace feel a little weird. Like, man, with those two, Dan's not raise the flop facing a quarter on a super wet board. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, Kings is, could be in there too. Um, I don't know for sure that he continues with Kings facing a quarter on the flop, but you have to, what do you mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I would assume he does. So yeah, I think Kings is in there. Yeah. Kings is in there. M- probably in full. Um, no sort of data points or anything like regarding flop their flop call Uh, not much about the flop call the turn raise came pretty quickly though Mm -hmm. I see yeah this is kind of a shit spot honestly like this is um, if you can eliminate two pair that's kind of (laughs) important uh, yeah. and so then we reduce trays a little bit because they're going to raise the flop at some frequency. I think we 
we can agree on that. Um, jacks, we can probably reduce that some because they raise the flop at some frequency, although probably more likely to raise trays than jacks, I think. Um, kings, probably there in full, and they have no two pair. Uh, I can, I would very, I would be very surprised if they have a hand like queen 10 of spades or ace 10 of spades or ace queen of spades or ace deuce ace five of spades or five six of spades um just because they're just disastrous things that can happen when they reopen the action on the turn and you bet pot three ways um so i think like those draws i would be surprised maybe they're in there at some frequency but probably quite removed i would be surprised too yeah um yeah i mean you're probably just gonna call the turn and kind of play rivers accordingly i think i think jamming doesn't really make a lot of sense to me does it boil down to like they have can we just assume they have full combos of pocket threes pocket jacks and pocket kings and two out of those three beat you beat us and that's that was that it can we just like simplify this whole spot down to that probably i think so just because of the nature of it being this eight-way bomb pot like that really allows us to remove just a lot of hands and like hand read exceptionally well here yeah um i think jamming is not good what about folding well i mean I think folding is, God. Can I can I can I throw in one more argument for folding? Sure. So you know we talked about like I, I don't think you would do this with King Jack. Yeah. The I think if we could take that one step further, and I would give this red credit for being able to do that. I don't know if they do it with threes. Threes beat King Jack, you know. Like that's the. The kind of like trays yeah. beats two pair and yeah. that makes it significantly four. better. Like it block it. So trays beats two pair and it doesn't block any of the higher cards. Whereas top two pair doesn't beat any of the sets and blocks a lot of the two pair that, you know, they can get called by. So I think that okay. the two hands are quite different in the way that they operate. Um, you know, it's 1300, you're, you're basically calling 1300 to win 34 right now, uh, and then have to make another decision on the river and 13, that's 47 river is going to be like a jam for half pot. Uh, so when they jam, you know, for half pot, you need to win 25% of the time. Um, if they have trays, Kings and Jacks, then you're going to win, you know, uh, a third of the time which means you probably just have to call down um and then occasionally if you run into like a king jack or whatever then it makes you know your makes a spot better uh but yeah i wouldn't jam the turn i think jamming the turn is just probably a big mistake okay i jam the turn yeah i mean i i think that this is just uh you're not you're not pushing equity when you do this I agree. I think I, I realized, or I mean, I think it hit me much, much more clearly, like after I, I played the hand and, and thought through it. I think in the hand, I was just, my heart was just pumping <laughs> at the fact that I flopped the set in a, in a bomb pot. And, uh. Sort of like, I, I think there's another 
part of this that you missed that is actually quite important. Um, since, I guess, as you said, you, you probably, if you weren't thinking about the hand, you know, this in depth, you weren't in tune with the spot when you're playing, then it's going to be much harder to see this. But basically, if you call the turn, there are a bunch of rivers that villain doesn't get to jam on or that they're probably going to be less likely to jam on, like probably any spade. Yeah. They're going to be, they're, they're just not going to jam. So like when you're not pushing equity and there's rivers that don't allow them to value jam, yeah, that, that incentivizes call um, just right. a ton. Yeah. So it's like rivers that save us from getting stacked, but don't win us the pot. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like it, if, if what we're saying is true and they have Kings, sets of kings, sets of jacks, and sets of trays. Well, you're not pushing equity by jamming. And when they don't place a river bet, that's really, really, really good for pocket fours because you don't want them to place another bet, basically. Yep. Yep. Um, but in this case, you didn't want them to place a bet, but you gave them the option of doing it anyway by jamming. Ooh. We got one of those rivers too, man. It was, oh. it was like I, I remember, you know, like you, you saying that actually like hurts more because like the the cutoff is like a, a you know a recreational player, right? And you know the river's the five of spades, and he's like, ah, I would have made my flush, right? Mm. I was like, ah. Yeah, oh, rivers man. of five of spades. So flop us tray four of spades. Rivers five of spades. I don't think they jam on this card. Yeah, I don't I, think they definitely can. Definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. Well, I wish we could say we stack threes, but. I don't even know it. I can't even see what they oh, had. What? So. It doesn't even go over it. Okay, yeah. Right. We ended up running into top set on the flop set of jacks. jacks. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, I think I was like, you know, two things. Like I said, I think I was just super excited to flop a set and a bomb pot was sort of blinded by that. And then on top of that, just like the perfect situation of like, wow, last time I was here, I had a bricked gut shot and just <laughs> went bet, bet, bet and got to show it down and got to use the exact same sizes. And then I just, potted the turn got raised and i was like oh this is you know I'm yeah like doing backflips yeah i mean i think i think again like this is there's this meta here right that kind of came into play and like you know we, we can't actually quantify whether or not the meta like anybody's even thinking about the meta or where if it even matters right but to us that was like the number one thing that mattered and we don't even know if like the, the other villains in the hand are even thinking about the last time that there was a bomb pot and that, you know, you went bet, bet, bet with like a busted gut shot. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just a sort of a danger, dangerous thing when we get too far in our own heads and start like making these assumptions that villains are prioritizing, uh, data points that, you know, we've previously exposed like, you know, at the last, uh, dealer change. So Anyway, just something to kind of bear in mind because then you get tunnel vision, right? Of like, oh my God, I've got a set. I'm taking the same exact bluff line. It's so unbelievable. They're just going to be stacking off way lighter than normal here. Um, and yeah, that last part of that statement could be absolutely untrue. They could just be stacking off exactly like normal and not be affected by the meta whatsoever. Um, and you have zero shot of thinking about that or realizing that when you're just in your own world. Yeah, I could I've even made like a I could have made like a really bad mistake I think with interpreting how that works because it's like I think one thing that I could think about is like if this guy saw me bluffing and thought that I was 
very likely to be doing the same thing since I was taking the same line using the same sizes. Why would he raise a bluff catcher on the turn? Wouldn't he just let me like, you know, bomb off and and interestingly, <sighs> if you're in your own world of about the meta, like calling becomes the play on the turn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Like so yeah, I don't know. I I think as you said, you flopped the set, your blood was bumping, and then you just started putting money in the pot, and that was it. Like the level of thought process probably just wasn't. I didn't. I didn't even. Yeah, it was like it didn't hit me until like right after the hand, and I was like, "Fuck, that was probably a punt on the turn." Like as the hand's happening, as the showdown happens, I'm just like, "Ugh, set over set, bomb pot." Like how unlucky can I be? And then. As I'm reaching for more chips, I'm like, huh, maybe that wasn't unlucky at all. I think that, you know, this will be the the last last thing for this episode, but for the listener at home, I, I think like that sort of sequence of thought that you have is quite natural and happens very often of like, ah, oh, how unlucky can I be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with how unlucky can I be is that you remove all responsibility for playing the hand better from yourself and put it all on, you know, the God of poker, the, the luck God or goddess of poker. And to me, like, I just, I hate that mentality personally. I, it's something that like, when people say these types of things, like in live poker, uh, I'm already like, Oh great. Like I have, I have an edge against you. I know I have an edge and I can quantify it. Right. Because like you're, not taking responsibility for the things that happen and you're in kind of like this like victim type mentality of like oh well woe is me why does this always happen to me instead of striving to actually like find the next level and and just see was there anything that i could have done here in this spot that would have not allowed me to get stacked like could i have played this hand better in some way um and i, and I just think it's really important for the listener to yeah, to, to take responsibility for the actions that you take when you're playing poker and for the data points that you're analyzing and for your ability to think through a hand rationally um, and, and apply logic in your own thought process. And, you know, the more frequently that you're saying, oh, how unlucky, oh, what a cooler, oh, it happens to me all the time. Um, what you're saying is like, I have no interest in getting better at poker. I would rather not take responsibility for that and just blame some outside force beyond my control for how things are going. And to me, that's just weak sauce. Um, so anyway, my last little diatribe there on that kind of those thoughts, that, that kind of mentality. Yeah. I was, I was definitely in there in that mentality for, for a minute. Right yeah. after this you play too much live poker. It rubs off on you. <laughs> you. You play too much live poker and that sort of, that sort of, um, those thoughts. Hey, in my defense, I realized that it was likely, very likely, a punt. You know, within sure. Three minutes. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. I know that you, you're the type of player that will, right? I think that there's just lots of players that won't, and you know, we. It's like this weird um, social proof aspect of live poker, right? Like where monkey see, monkey do. You, you see, like you know, a reg respond that way to a hand. And you think, oh, I guess that's okay to feel sorry for myself. Oh, I guess that's okay to, you know, blame the poker gods. And you you see it again and again and again and again and again and again. And then eventually you're like, well, you know, maybe it's maybe it's fine to just act like that. Why why can't I, you know, claim 
victim. Um, why can't I do that? And, and I think it's just an easy trap to fall into. There's, there's so many of these like traps of like, you know, you, it, in my head, right? Like when I first started playing poker, I imagined like poker professionals are professionals. They, they don't go to the pit. They don't like do the degen things. They, they, because they, they have to know better, right? Like this is about survival. Um, and then you play for a while and you realize like, oh, a bunch of these guys go to the pit. Oh, a bunch of these guys like drink and play. A bunch of these guys like stay up all night, sleep for three hours and then play the next day. Um, and I think that you see that often enough, it can start tricking you into believing that like, oh, it's okay. Oh, these, these things, like I was just, I was paranoid before. Like these things are actually okay because I see all these guys doing it. So it must be okay, right? Yeah. Um, and the more that you can guard against that internally, the better. Because like what they're actually doing is giving you edge. They're giving you opportunity and you can either do the shit that they do and throw away that edge and opportunity, or you could just be a pro and not do that kind of thing. So, all right. I, I, I said my last rant was my last, this, this rant is actually my last, my last uh, rant here for the end of tactical Tuesday, but I, it's a really important thing. And it's relevant to anybody that plays live po poker for any significant period of time. These kind of things, they, they seep in unconsciously and you, you don't you don't always realize that you're falling into that trap. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I totally agree. And cool. on that yeah. note, we'll have to put the uh, Hero Folds episode off for another week, I guess, because <laughs> definitely didn't happen this time. Not today. <clears throat> Not today, sir. All right. Well, you know, tough hand, hand number two. I, I think that's a tough one and. In your defense, I think that almost everyone goes broke there on the turn. So, well, good thing I played like the two hundred dollar pot really well in hand one. <laughs> that <laughs> that makes yeah. up for uh, that makes up for this one, right? Absolutely, every time. Right. Well, see you next week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.